This podcast was recorded on March 26, 2020. Cut and cut. Cut it there. Cut, 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 cut. Bring it. And cut. Cut. Cut, 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 cut. Terrific. Cut and cut. Cut. Let's try it again. Cut and cut. 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 Check the game. Cut it. Cut. 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 Welcome to Cut, just another movie podcast. Episode one, the debut. I'm Annie. I'm Angie. And we're siblings that love movies. And that's basically what this podcast is about. It's not really criticism. It's more of what we think about these movies. Splash in with some behind the scenes information, uh, pre-production through the movie, and then uh, the cultural impact. You know, what what it really resonated, you know, culturally. For this first episode, we had to go big or go home. And that's why we chose one of the biggest movies of all time, Titanic. Titanic. What's the first thing that comes to your brain when you think of Titanic? Leonardo DiCaprio. And pretty much that catapulting him and Kate Winslet's careers. Um, So that's what I first think of when I think of Titanic. The first thing I think of Titanic is annoying. Boo. Because of the song. And, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But one of the big questions that we want to try to answer is, is this the greatest disaster movie ever made? Um, there have been many disaster movies in film history. We'll start off with the very beginning. And this movie sort of holds a personal um, aspect to us in that we both were alive when it was released. We went to see it when it came out. Saw it with our family. The movie was released December 1997. What do you remember of 1997? Not much, really. Um, I was seven, so I was in second grade. So I don't really remember much other than us going to see Titanic. That being like a family outing thing, because we didn't really go out as a family a lot. So I do remember that as being one of the times we all went out together as a family. And I remember being obsessed with the story of the Titanic like pretty much right before the movie came out. So that was just kind of really good timing on my part. And so I had all these like books and like movies and stuff. And then when the movie came out, I just remember being really excited for the movie. So that's what I remember. My first memory, I mean, 1997, I was a sophomore in high school. Um, So I I feel like I have more memory than you uh, in that respect. Um, I remember our dad talking. There were two stories that I remember him mentioning. Uh, when we were growing up, one of them was Titanic because it was such a big sort of cultural. Um, I mean, it was, if you can compare it to like, you know, um, 9-11 and just on that biggest scale that it was like worldwide that, you know, everyone knew about just that like story. one of the big disasters of history. And even people like in the middle of nowhere knew the story. Uh, I remember dad mentioning Titanic and uh, Charles Manson. <laughs> That's really weird. Those are, those I remember were the two big stories that, but I that actually him. kind of helps me think about why I am the way I am today. I remember him mentioning just like I was this massive ship and that hit an iceberg and, and, you know, tons of people were lost. And when the movie came out, I didn't know who James Cameron was. I mean, I'd, I'd remember Terminator too. I remember watching, but I, that I'd never kept tabs of who made this or, or the significance of it. And so, but I do remember the hype being really big. And as a teenager, uh, I had already heard of Leo. 
um, I think through Romeo and Juliet, didn't know who Kate Winslet was. And other than that, uh, I remember when we went to go see it, just, yeah, theater being packed and it being this, it felt like an event. It felt like, you know, nowadays going to go see a Marvel movie or, you know, a Christopher Nolan movie. It, it felt like that to me. Do you remember what time we saw the movie at? Was it like the day it came out? So it premiered in December of uh, 1997. But I think we saw it after that. I think we saw it in 1998, but it definitely was before the Academy Awards because by the Academy, Academy Awards time, we, we were already sort of like in the know of what it was and what, how big it was. So I don't remember exactly the day. I guarantee you there's a ticket stub somewhere. Specifically with our family, um, our dad never went to go see movies. That is a weird thing that I remember. Like we'd always go with our mom. And the fact that he was like, I want to go see this, that I think upped my level of like, holy shit, this is, this is going to be big. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that until you mentioned it just now. But I think that's the only movie I ever remember seeing with our dad. Yeah. I think. I have yeah. another one. But, oh, I know the one that yeah. you're thinking of. That's for another episode. But personally, that's that was kind of the gauge of like when it was a big something that you had to see. Actually, there's two more. Oh, I just remember. Do the you one. remember Passion of the Christ? <gasps> no. No. Oh God, Dad went to see that. Yeah, we all I, did. Oh, I did. That was a big. Was that the second time too. I saw it? Because I remember the first time I saw it, I saw it with friends. Probably. Oh, I can't believe I saw that movie twice. I uh, yeah, that was the one and only time that that we saw it but i think that movie was more that mom made dad go see it having said that let's start with the beginning of production how titanic even came to be and so starting got to start off with james cameron you know he was coming off uh terminator 2 true lies like one of my favorite if i had to say like love true lies james cameron movies i mean i love terminator but true lies i don't know it's just true lies just hits different yeah, it totally hits different. <laughs> he was always fascinated with the sea and like shipwrecks and as a kid before he even wanted to be a, a movie director. And so that sort of, it was the collision of the two, you know, he's a director and he was always fascinated, fascinated with Titanic. And so he came up with this plot of how can I do both? And so what he did was went to Paramount all, and, and by the way, this, this movie was produced by two studios, which is another sort of kind of a uncommon thing nowadays. Yeah, I didn't really know about that. I thought it was just Paramount. And it's funny because when it's distributed here, the very beginning logo is Paramount. But if you saw it overseas, you see 20th Century Fox. So that's where they, they kind of split the two. Um, so it's produced by two studios. And how he sold them is he bought uh, one of the big illustrated books of Titanic at the time. And there's a photo of just like if it floating on the ocean at night before the iceberg hit. And he basically slammed it on the slammed it on the team and said, Romeo and Juliet on a boat. And let's have it be three hours because, of course, it's Titanic. It cannot be, you know, your run of the mill hour and a half movie. In 1995, the whole beginning of the movie starts with the sunken ship and all those shots. And the majority of those are actually the real Titanic. And James Cameron and his crew shooting that. They, I think they did over 20 dives to get some of the footage and planning, planning it out because he always envisioned the movie starting off that way. And this is before he had like a word of script written. So it's like really just like, hey, I'm going to take my buddies and do a deep dive and like have studios pay for it. 
Um, and that was sort of the genesis of, of how Titanic came to be. And obviously he later wrote the script and began casting. And that's where the casting process really began. So for casting, we have, I mean, I'll go through pretty much the cast we do have, and then we'll talk about, we'll go back and forth on some alternate casting that you may or may not know about. So we have Leonardo DiCaprio, who's playing Jack Dawson. Up until this point, he had just, he had done Romeo and Juliet. He had done What's Eating Gilbert Grape. So he was pretty well established. For Rose, do it Bucator. We have Kate Winslet. And then we have Billy Zane as Cal Hockley. Yeah. Kathy Bates as Molly Brown. Uh, Francis Fisher as Rose's mom, Ruth DeWitt. And then we have Bill Paxton as Brock Lovett. So I know we have some alternate casting tidbits to, to throw at you guys. Um, but like Angie was saying, the, the star obviously was, was Leo because he'd just come off Romeo and Juliet. Kate Winslet wasn't really Kate Winslet yet. And At least then, not here, maybe overseas, but maybe not here. Kate had done Sense and Sensibility with Ang Lee and Peter Jackson's um, Heavenly Creatures, which were, you know, big hits for her. But I mean, it still wasn't at the scale of, of what she is today. So hers was took a lot of casting and it was a casting director that really told James Cameron, you know, you need to look at her because I, I think she's she's real. She's the one that that we've been looking for. And she was infatuated with the role, really wanted it uh, so much so that after she auditioned, she sent a, or she called um, James Cameron and basically said, why the hell are you still auditioning girls for this? Like, give me the part. Like I'm, I'm Rose, like just completely committed. And then you had a story about how. Yeah. So she later on, I think once she got it or like she had some semblance of her getting it, but maybe not for sure, for sure. She mailed a rose to James Cameron and basically with a note saying like, I'm ready. This is what I want to do. And then Kathy Bates, obviously like the veteran um, playing the unsinkable Molly Brown, which the real life character, you know, and so subsequently was, you know, survived the the Titanic, but she was an American socialite philanthropist. Um, and that's, that's sort of the great thing about Titanic is not only do you have fictional characters, but they're surrounded, the supporting cast is they were all real people. And, you know, to the captain, to the designer, to the crew, they were all based off actual characters, actual moments that actually happened. So it's, it's a great mixed bag. And I think that adds, you know, authenticity to, to the overall film. Yeah. And since we're talking about Molly Brown, I have a trivia question for you. Shoot. About alternate casting for Molly Brown. Do you know who that was? Um, You're probably not going to get it. No, probably not. Reba McIntyre. Which doesn't make any sense to me. Like it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. I mean, I guess it's because of the Southern, the Southern vibe. I guess so. But other than that, because at that time, Reba wasn't really active. She wasn't like Reba, you know? She was, I think she was still just doing music. Yeah. So that's an interesting choice for sure. It's weird. But I mean, Kat, if you look at the photo of the real Molly and Kathy, I mean, it's. Yeah. They look exactly the same. And the rest of the cast, you know, you could say that too, that they look very, very Mm -hmm. similar. They look the same. Bill Paxton. Love Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. You know, which, who has like maybe the greatest sort of like character name in a movie. Brock. Love it. (laughs) It's a really good name. Playing the, the Jacques Cousteau of, <laughs> of, of the uh, exploration team. Um, part of me, 
I don't know, just still can't see him past Twister. I know he's in a bunch of great roles, but Twister was a year before. And every time I just see him, I just think he's just. I think I still see him as, oh, what the fuck's his name in Twister? Billy? Bill? Yeah. Right? Bill. Bill. Yes. Um, yeah. I still, I still see him as that Bill character, but just underwater. <laughs> like, like he went from yeah, hunting that, tornadoes to hunting Titanic. Exactly. And that, that's the vibe that I get too, where it's yeah. just like, where's the tornado going to come up? And mm-hmm. Where's Helen Hunt? And. Um, and so he does like, I mean, it does a solid job. He's Bill Paxton. He just so. does a Bill Paxton, which is yeah. good. And then you have the, the rest of the cast, Jonathan Hyde playing Bruce Ismay, who played, uh, English businessman who was the managing director of the white star line. And then you have Victor Garber who plays Thomas Andrews, who essentially designed and built, you know, the Titanic. Um, and you know, went down with with the ship and that's sort of the one of the the big sort of storylines in in the movie apart from you know the the romance rounding out the the rest of the actual um members that were were on the ship like archibald gracie who was an american writer soldier historian um he survived and then uh benjamin guggenheim who i don't know if he's of the guggenheims that's the one thing that i I that's the one thing i didn't look up but i do know that, I mean, I'll talk about it later when we go over the movie. And he was an American businessman and he, he uh, tragically died on, on board. Uh, his body was never recovered. And so now let's get into alternate casting. Cause it, I'd find this in any movie fascinating, but even more so cause it's Titanic. So I have a few for alternate casting, um, notably for the shortlist for girls, cast for rose we have angelina jolie kate beckinsale and madonna which like i get the first two but madonna just seems a little weird to me yeah although back in the 90s she was like sort of at the peak of her her acting yeah and she did evita so i guess you just die to her bread i guess it would make and then dick tracy oh that's right um and uh there was a one with willem dafoe that i can't remember i can't remember either um but I mean, I get just that the name brand, I guess, Madonna. I found Gwyneth Paltrow, which is interesting. And also Claire Danes, who had just come off with Leo doing Romeo and Juliet. And actually, as they were filming, Leo was already sort of at the high list of, of, of doing it and confided in, in, in Claire saying like, should I do it? Should I not do it? I don't know if this is like the right thing. And, you know, Claire Danes basically thought better of it and just thought like, you know, if this movie's massive, I don't really want all that limelight. And so basically chose not to do it and just it all. And, and plus there, there was turmoil supposedly between her and Leo that they didn't really get along. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Uh, supposedly. I don't know. That, that, that'll be a future podcast. Uh, speaking of people that turn down things, I also have Johnny Depp and Billy Crudup. Turning down oh, Jack. Billy, I think Billy Crudup. Crudup would have been really good. Yeah. Um, but the first choice for Jack was actually River Phoenix. See, and that to me is like, that would have been incredible. That would have been really good. That yeah, would have been absolutely. really good. I mean, he looks a lot like Leo, but I think his acting chops like at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. I think it would have been. I, I mean, think you, so too. You couldn't have gone wrong. No. Way. Billy Zane, my boy, Billy Zane. So 
he was one of the last cast because he couldn't really find Cal. And so frustrated James Cameron, one of his producers, randomly go see The Phantom. You guys remember that movie? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it, it, it's like based off a comic. No, I, I do know what you're talking about, but I actually never saw it. And I can see Billy Zane, like what he looks like in it. And so they saw The Phantom and basically said, we got our, we got our cow. Speaking of Billy Zane, Phantom and alternate casting, Billy Zane as the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Would be great. Yes. Although I don't know if he can sing, but. I don't know if he can sing either. Do you have an alternate casting for Cal? Like if you're thinking automatically. Off the top of my head, I was thinking, who do we just say? Billy Crudup. Yes. I would. Okay. I don't even know his name. He's in my best friend's wedding. Not the best friend that's getting married. The other guy. uh, uh, Mulroney? Not him. The other guy. The British guy. Yeah. He'd be a good cow. I don't don't remember his name, but I, I know who you're talking about. He has the he has the look for sure. Yeah. Well, and he's looking that up. The alternate casting for Jack is Chris O'Donnell and Matthew McConaughey, who even auditioned with Kate Winslet. Oh, that I would like to see that. It'd probably be really bad, but And this is obviously before the McConaughey uh, Renaissance. <laughs> uh oh, sorry. I just found his name. It is Rupert Everett. Rupert Everett. There that guy. I'd pick that guy to be Cal. So having cast the film and you got your leads, James Cameron was still nervous about Leo as Jack. And one of the reasons why is because during um, uh, the table reads, he would basically, Leo would just basically read the lines and would break character and then would just start goofing around. Like he would, he would easily be able to sort of get out of character. And so that made James Cameron very nervous. Uh, but he would see the glimpses of, of what Jack could be. And so that sort of made him, I guess, more confident in that he was like the right choice. Let's talk about Rosarito because a lot of this movie, most of this movie was shot in Mexico. And actually part of the deal that Cameron did when he was talking about like, I'm going to make my epic is, but you also have to build me a $20 million studio where I could build almost a life-size replica of the ship itself. I was looking through the special features of the Blu-ray and there's one that's specifically just like a time-lapse of them building that entire set in Baja. And it's like a small city, basically. Like they built a ship and then they built like a separate piece and then a separate piece. And like the whole ship part was only a hundred feet shorter than the actual Titanic. So they basically built the Titanic out there. Yeah, on one side. Yeah. So facing facing the ocean. Essentially, the horizon tank that they built uh, held 70 million gallons and provided a 20, uh, 270 degrees of ocean view. They took out 20 foot chunks, so it was a little bit shorter. Uh, but the stacks, the smokestacks were 162 feet uh, up in the air and essentially made all the exteriors, you know, uh, some of the interiors as well as, you know, the uh, poop deck, um, the front of the ship, all that stuff was, was there. And they also had even smaller studios within that where they did, uh, the ending scene where, where everyone's, you know, freezing and dying essentially. They also had, I know a lot of what James Cameron said is that he wanted it to be as accurate as possible. Yeah. 
So while you were talking about them recreating the ship, I know he mentions that a lot of the pretty much all the like the mechanical aspect of the lifeboats were all all that iron work was done by the same company that did the original ironwork using blueprints from the original ship. Same with the company that wove the carpet for the interior. It was the same exact carpet with the same company that had woven it for the Titanic. And the the dinner scene as well. That's like to the T exactly to the to the white stars on the uh, logo on the, on the forks, which were all handmade. Um, there were, it wasn't like, Hey, let's rebuild a prop. No, they just had it because it didn't exist. It was at the bottom of the ocean. I wonder who has all that stuff. You know, right? They just threw it all out. They probably threw it all out. Or just wrecked it with all the, the disaster sequences that they had. Yeah. Like, oh, that's true. I would have taken a fork. Right. Or like a plate or, yeah. or something. It was a big feat, not just to produce the film, but just to build. How do you, how do you, shoot something like this um and i remember when we we would vacation down in 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 rosarito um that that was the story and we we have family there that they would be saying oh they're shooting titanic yeah and then you could drive and kind of see the ship off in the horizon which was kind of cool if you lived down there at the time you could see look the titanic is right there yeah Um, wild and so yeah it was it was an incredible sort of feat um and it's still think it's the largest water studio uh ever built and other movies like um pearl harbor deep blue sea tomorrow never dies um all shot there and you could still rent it out if you have millions of dollars the original filming schedule was intended to uh last 138 days but ended up going all the way to 160 uh which up the budget to the historically 200 million dollars which is still the highest, the most expensive movie ever made in the 20th century. 109 was their starting budget and they ended at just over 200. Yeah. I mean, that's not inflation, but you can imagine it be, it rank up there with, with your marvels of, uh, of the day. The budget got so out of control that the executives started panicking and James Cameron forfeited his shares of profit for the movie. So oh, essentially wow. he got paid just to make it, but got no profit. So he didn't, he didn't get any residuals. He didn't get any sort of royalty. Even he, now? I don't know about now. <laughs> or like, like, I'm sure at some point he was like, you know what? I don't know. He said, he, bro- he said to quote him from, from some of the behind the scenes, he said that he like broke, he made no money off the movie itself, hmm. but I don't know. But then he also did that special Nat Geo that was like unsinking yeah. the tight or whatever it was called. Yeah. Sure, I got paid for that. The studio expected Cameron to complete the film to be released July 2nd of 97. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, it was delayed till December because the special effects were just taking too long. And that's another thing that sort of upped the, uh, the budget. So here we go. The actual film after all that. Oh boy. Beginning of the film. We talked about that earlier about you know, most of the underwater uh, sequences uh, were shot by Cameron himself with his underwater crew uh, two years before the movie was released. And some of that was recreated. I know there's that shot where there's that doll that's buried yes. in the sand. That was a recreation. And what's crazy is that a lot of the, the di- Cameron discovered a lot of footage a lot of the Titanic that hadn't been seen before. Yeah. So that's what I was going to mention is that he took a 35 35- millimeter camera like on on an rov and just like drove it through 
like the deck and like the room, which almost, had never been done before. Almost destroying like ROVs because yeah. he just like didn't give a shit. and was just like, I'm going to take <laughs> these like wherever the hell I want. And yeah. Just treated them like they were like just like like camera gear. But he got some good shots. And then can we talk about how the visor for Duncan says Snoop Vision? Like, why does it? Do they mention that? I believe that? that that's what the, the ROV was called. Oh, it was called. Yeah, it was okay. Called, it was called Snoop. Then we're introduced to Bill Paxson's character. And that's sort of the, the premise of that. He's searching for the, the, heart of the heart of the ocean. Obviously, his character isn't really into the human aspect of Titanic. Like he could care less that people died. All his he's just I'm trying to find my pot of gold in the, in the middle of the ocean. The fact that he's in a way kind of James Cameron where he's just like, I don't care what it takes. I need to make my movie. I don't care. I'm going to ruin this ROV. Right. Uh, (laughs) I don't care. I need to get to the, to the heart of the ocean. And then we segue into, to old Rose's character who apparently was based off a ceramics artist named Beatrice Wood. Oh, is that why he has her doing pottery in the beginning? Yes. Yes, exactly. And I believe, uh, James James Cameron was a fan of hers and wrote her a letter and basically sent her, she had written a book and basically said, I'm going to base um, uh, Rose's character off that. So the late, great Gloria Stewart, um, who, by the way, guess uh, what original universal horror movie. Oh God. Um... She starred in. The Wolfman? No. Damn it. Just go to, down the list and right. you get it. The, uh, Frankenstein. No. The Mummy. No. The Invisible Man. Yes. How was that? The, God, that was going to be my second guess. She was Claude Rains uh, in Claude Rains' Invisible Man. That's That was her I feel her like I interest. should know that. Uh, and she did a bunch of like great- Yeah, she was like a starlet in like the, what, 30s? 30s, yeah. yeah. She was a big deal and she like would have dinner with Groucho Marx and like just would tell all these stories to the rest of the cast. Um, Gloria Stewart, who was, I think in her eighties when the, I think so. the film, and so they made her look over a hundred, um, did not want to ride that helicopter when they go to the, <laughs> to ship to me. I Bill would barely want to ride that helicopter right? and I'm not a hundred or 80. Cameron had to basically convince her like heavily to be like, it's the best helicopter on the planet. Like we have the best pilots, like nothing's going to happen to it. And you're going to be fine. And, and so finally she convinced and, and they were able to get on board. Um, and the scene where, uh, she's talking to the crew where she's begins to tell her story of, of Titanic. There's a line where she says, um, wasn't I a dish? That was not the original line. She rewrote it and fought Cameron. The original line was, wasn't I a hot number? Yeah. And Gloria being, just nail this as like she wouldn't Rose would never say that. Yeah. I don't think she would say that either. And so basically Cameron said, well, what would she say? And then she had lived. Wasn't I a dish? That's pretty funny. Throughout us talking about the movie, there's actually quite a number of instances where actors have rewritten things that James Cameron has originally written. Oh yeah. Um, and Cameron reluctantly said, okay, like whatever, we'll keep it in. And Gloria loved that line so much that she even told Cameron, like, um, can I get writer's credit? Oh my God. And Cameron's like, no. <laughs> and then apparently that like teed her off. Also, can we talk about the sweater that Bill Paxton's wearing? Yes. When they get the open the safe. I think it's that one. Yeah. That scene. 
It looks exactly the same as Chris Evans sweater in Knives Out. Pretty sure it's the same sweater, just yeah. a different color. I'm sure Ryan Johnson was like, that I'm sweater. Gonna, I'm going to borrow that. Yeah. So now we get to the pier. We've, she's beginning to tell her story and we go into the transition on Southampton pier, which again, it's all, uh, in, in Mexico, the, that whole dock, the was London and Mexico. Yeah. Or Liverpool. Over 2000 extras, uh, for the people that are on the pier and then on the boat. So the way that the set was designed, the original Titanic was docked facing, um, I don't know, the starboard size or whatever. We but should basically have thought about this. If you're, if you're looking at the Titanic, it would be, if I'm driving the Titanic, it'd be to the left. <laughs> if you're driving the Titanic. Okay. But when it was built oh, in, in Mexico, it. it was the opposite side. So they basically, all those shots in the, from them uh, leaving the maiden voyage were all reversed. And so if you watch the behind the scenes, all the white star lettering on their are logos backwards. are backwards. Weird. And Kay Winslet was so, did not understand what the hell was going on the way, the day they shot that, that, um, that she thought it was like that they had like fucked up the printing. Oh God. Cameron's like, no, we got, we're going to flip everything in post. What do you think of that reveal of, of her hat? That is, I'm going to start yelling. That is like one of my favorite shots in like cinema probably. Cause it's so good. It's just like the scene, not only that, but the transition before that of when, um, you know, Gloria Stewart says it was called a ship of dreams and it really was. And then it just like transitions and then you get the swelling of the score is from there, pretty much that whole beginning scene where you get introduced to Rose, to Cal, to her mom is just all like super good. Yeah. But that specific scene where it starts at the top of her hat and it just goes down and it goes under into her face. It's just like perfect. That scene was choreographed specifically to get that shot, which th those are the moments in movies that really blow my mind in that, you know, sometimes you get happy accidents where by some miracle, the lighting hits just right. Or like you see something the day, but to sort of choreograph it and to visualize it and think that's going to be fucking amazing and then have it be amazing. Um, that's, that's just great storytelling. And, and you know, the greatness of, of, of James Cameron as a director. Now we get to Leo's introduction when he's a, you know, essentially buying his way or gambling his way. That's the better word of, you know, buying him and, Fabrizio Fabrizio uh, onto the Titanic and sort of establishes the fact that he's like a, you know, street wise kid and, and basically has tons of, uh, is crafty when it comes to like stuff like that. And sort of also you see the separation of class beginning to see where you have the luxury of, of the high class, you know, coming in on a carriage with their car and their, 20 pounds of luggage. Yeah. And then you have, you know, the poor people getting checked for lice. It sets the tone for not just the movie, the characters, but essentially sort of the, the class war that's, that's about to happen. Fast forwarding a little bit, probably one of the most iconic scenes in the film. I'm King of the world. Um, been parodied, parodied multiple times. Um, and it's, it's a great moment because again, it's showing the idea of, you know, how lucky they are to just even be on that damn ship 
even though it's going to end horribly for him. But just <laughs> the idea of, of what the, the what the Titanic represented is like new opportunities coming to America and a, a new life for both of them. And and so it's just sort of the like climax of, of that moment. And it's interesting how they were able to shoot it where uh, they're not moving. They're essentially the, the actual shot is just the front of the ship cut off and that's it. And so the way that they did it is basically they put a camera on a crane and through moving it on a dolly and moving the camera, you create the parallax effect of motion, especially in the background without a ship actually, you know, moving at sea. That's smart. I didn't even think about that. James Cameron is kind of known for that. And he uses that a lot, especially towards, uh, once they hit the iceberg, um, when they're on the, on the poop deck, a lot of that kind of counter motion with the camera and, and the actors isn't actually the boat moving. It's just the camera. Do you remember how much I would annoy you with that specific scene in Titanic? No. Okay. What, what did, I don't remember. What would <laughs> so, you do? When Titanic came out on VHS, I watched it a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I remember that was the scene that you specifically didn't like for some reason. And I remember one time I was watching it and right as that scene happened, I like cranked the volume on the TV up super loud and you're just like, oh my God. And you just like left the room. Really? Yeah. Like I, I specifically no remember that. that. Wow. It but came it, to me. it sounds like. Sounds like something you would do. So from there we move on to it's like a lunch scene. Like they're having brunch or lunch or something. And it's Rose, Cal, her mom, Andrews, Mr. Ismay. I think that's it. But those are like the main characters. And they're kind of talking about um, like Thomas Andrews is talking about the Titanic and like all the Irishmen that built it. And Mr. Ismay is kind of like, well, I wanted to focus on the size and that's why we came up with the name of Titanic. And then Rose kind of like name drops Freud and says that he should look up Freud because his preoccupation with males like obsessiveness over size would be important to him, which is less like the funniest thing to me. Like it's something that I didn't realize the first time I yeah. watched it. Cause I didn't know I was like seven, but like, as I got older, that joke was just like even funnier to me. And I think that I really like that scene particularly because you get an insight into Rose's character and how she like, doesn't want to be who people think she's supposed to be. Yeah. There's even the part where she starts smoking and her mom's like, you know, I don't like that. And she like blows smoke in her face. And then Cal orders her food for her. And then Molly Brown is like, are you going to cut her food up for her too? And so there's just like that. I really like that scene with Rose because you really get an insight into her character pretty early on that she's not going to go along with what everyone thinks she should be. And especially in that era, the standards of women and what they were designed to do of like, oh, you just going to marry and have kids and and especially her mother pressuring her to just marry rich. Like one of the big things that I like about Titanic is that I really think it's Rose's movie and kind of it's her character's growth. And I know we'll talk about different scenes. And so I'm, I'm going to I'll try and bring it up as the scenes go, like if I can think of what I was going to say. But that's kind of one of the first scenes that is just like you see Rose, like her introduction is her going in with her rich family. And like she says a line that I don't particularly like, but she says, that Titanic was like a ship that people that was taking people to a better life. And she says to me, it was a slave ship taking me back to America in chains. And so that was where I was just like, okay, you're being a little dramatic, but like, I, I understand why they, why, like where her position is as a character. 
But going back to that scene where they're having lunch, I thought that was a really good scene for Rose's character. And like you were saying, like it sort of establishes their core group of relationship and how how abusive like um, Billy Zane is to her, his character. And there is whole just sort of like she doesn't want to. And there's like this that. like this um, kind of like an undertone. I guess I'm probably done for not thinking about it sooner. But Cal kind of like backhandedly mentions this thing where like there's a part later where he says, Oh, you didn't come to me last night. Like, is he trying to sleep with her? Is that like a big thing? Interesting. You bring that up. There is a deleted scene, uh, a little further back where the paintings and where she walks in and, but it's very aggressive where, uh, Cal basically, I don't know exactly what the doll is, but it's implied that she hasn't had sex with anyone before. Oh, okay. And then, uh, Billy Zane walks in. He's like, I'm your first. Right. And he even like grabs her and there's this look on her face of like, Ooh. <laughs> okay. That make, now, maybe, now maybe it makes not. sense now. Cause I feel like they very like subtly talk about like mention it, but maybe Cameron didn't really want to like be so in your face about yeah, it. Yeah. That, that's what I think too. Okay. So now we get into the desperation of, of Rose and, and essentially wanting to enter life and, it's funny how it sort of just wraps around in that like she ends up essentially going down with the ship in the same place where she like wanted to rip <laughs> to, to kill herself. That scene apparently was was really difficult for for Kate Winslet. She had to do tons of crying over and over again. And eventually her her tears just kind of dried up. And so what she had was they had to like spray her in the face to to make her just to the ear ducks or the ear ducks, the, 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 the tear ducks. <laughs> and so that's where they first meet for the first time, her and Leo. And again, it shows sort of Leo's sort of the, the gateway drug for her to sort of enlist and to be, well, I don't want to be my family. I don't want to be, I don't want to fall down that road of, of what they want me to be. And here's Leo who essentially is doing whatever he wants and, and seems like a good person. And, and, and I, that's what I want. You know, the introduction to that. He's like the complete opposite of what she, like what her whole life has been leading up to. Um, and she even kind of mentions it is that like, she was living her whole life as though she had already lived it. And so she's obviously depressed like even earlier, Caleb's like, I know you've been melancholy, which is like keyword for depression, like yeah. back in the day. So that's pretty much what Rose is going up. Like when she arrives on the Titanic, she's just like this depressed girl because she's still pretty young. And so I feel like seeing Jack at like a very vulnerable part of her life is just kind of like a breath of fresh, fresh air to her and just like completely different than anything she's ever experienced. And then it leads to the next day when they're outside walking uh, and that scene originally the way that it was written was completely different than what it ended up being. So the way James Cameron had wrote it, it was very, it was more clear cut than what it ended up being. And so uh, it was more of just like, you know, girl falls, falls in love and boy falls in love. And like, they just, it's, it was very kind of hokey and very kind of basic and very, what you would expect from like a romance what ended up happening was that it was more bittersweet. It was more harsh because, you know, he talks about um, the, the line of like, are you in love? 
Oh, and he's so like, you love how him. dare you yeah. ask me that question? That was not in the original screenplay okay. at all. And so they actually kind of rewrote it and then try to tell James Cameron, hey, we think it, it'll play off better this way. A yeah. little bit more complex, not as so lovey-dovey. And he's like, no, we're going to do it my way. And it took tons of convincing from Leo and Kate to, to, to um, while they were rehearsing it before they even shot it. And so finally came day to shoot it. And then um, James Cameron basically said, uh, yeah, I wrote these brand new scenes. Here you go. And essentially wrote it's it the same thing <laughs> to what <laughs> they like, had thought of. Don't talk to me. I just did it. I think it worked out way better. I like it. Yeah. And then it's it leading up to the, um, like when they talk about the Santa Monica pier, right. And like, they're like spitting Which off. Which did of, not exist in 1912. I looked that up too. And I was like, I think it did the whole thing not exist or just not the roller coaster. I don't know. Like, I, think the, it, I know at the end of the movie, there's that portrait shot. Yeah. And I, I saw that, that James Cameron mentions that she really was on a horse and it was really at the pier, but they had to like put the coaster in, in the back because it wasn't around. I don't know. And if you going to get all philosophical, not really philosophical, just more like metaphorical. Um, <laughs> the butterfly clip is yes, like yes. a huge signifier of her growth as a woman, I guess. Her transformation. And we'll kind of talk about like, she's pretty much wearing it in her hair up to this point in it. And in the beginning, like when we see Gloria's old rose, it's all like kind of tattered. But up until this point, she's still like wearing it in her hair. And we know that it's like an important piece. The next scene is sort of the beginning of the end in my eyes, because this is a scene where uh, Bruce Ismay and uh, the captain have this conversation which, by the way, was based off an actual conversation that happened that people overheard uh, on the Titanic. Uh, the whole idea of, again, Bruce is made pushing the captain to push the boat, to push the ship, uh, to get to New York faster. Um, you could see the sort of, even in that era, about how publicity was like everything. Oh, yeah. It wasn't good enough to just like built the biggest boat known to man, but it had to be... Like- Quote unquote unsinkable. Had to be the fastest thing on the planet. Uh, We need promotion. We need money. We need, you know, all the things. I can't even imagine like after, you know, the second guessing that went on, you know, with everyone that that was like the kind of the seed that had planted um, uh, from from then on. Yeah. And that was what really made me hate his mate to begin with is that he was just like, I want them to marvel at more speed. Right. And then, um, of course, EJ, the the captain, was going to retire right after this. So he's like, don't you want to retire with a bang and be like super cool? Like, first of all, once you hear that someone's going to retire after something, something bad is about to happen. Like it always happens where they're like, oh, they were just like two days away from retirement and they died. It's like an athlete that's like, oh, I have one more year in me. And then like they start the season and they like, they pull their hands like, and then they're destroys his leg. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now we get to one of my fun, the fun scene is the, the spitting scene. And I have a hard trouble sometimes listening to dialogue or understanding what people are saying. <laughs> and so for the life of me, I have no idea like what he said to me. It sounded like art connect, but he says arc your neck when he's like telling her how to spit. I think he says like, hold it back arc your neck and then spit. And Cause spit. I mean, when you think about how to spit, that's like this scene, I have a love hate relationship with it. Cause I think spitting is disgusting. 
Like it's so gross to me to spit. I think yeah. it's especially when he turns around and there's like a little. Uh, oh, like you know, thinking you, about it is like making me gag. Pop quiz. What was that? What do they use? I remember seeing the behind the scenes where they're whisking it in like a bowl. That that's a giveaway but I can't right remember there. what you said. It's egg white. Oh, it's just egg white. It's egg white. Oh, well, it looks a lot slimier than egg white. Maybe it's like egg white with something else. They're actually spitting into the parking lot, and they're someone they didn't they don't say exactly but someone made a caricature of somebody to aim at to oh, spit oh i wonder who it was i wonder who it could be and so that they, they were always trying to spit at, at the <laughs> characters caricatures uh, face we get to the dinner scene and james cameron had trouble getting the tuxedo onto leo because he thought do they have costume shops on the titanic i mean now in cruise ships they do but oh. how would he get uh, oh, he was trying to figure out how Leo how would get to do into it right a into story. And actually, it was Kathy Bates who said, well, you know, I have a son. All these people coming up with better ideas than James Cameron <laughs> right? in the movie. Right? All these just like artistic ideas where you're like, that was a really good scene in the movie. And then you find out that it wasn't even. All these like, like small little. Sorry, James Cameron, but. Right? You know. Nuances that you would think yeah. come, would come from the, the captain. But so anyway, so uh, Kathy Bates brought that and that's how they were able to to figure that um the infamous staircase was actually made of oak just like the real thing so to a t and i think they added a couple of it because they they talk about how people were smaller then and so the original staircase was extremely narrow and so they actually widened it by like i think like a foot to just make it a little bit bigger because we're all fatter now but they actually widened it a little bit to to make it uh to make it more for uh you know 100 years later so we get to Jack walking in, making his grand entrance. And then he kind of like gets to the bottom of the grand staircase. And then in comes Rose and Cal and Rose's mom. And uh, Leo grabs Rose's hand and like kisses the top of it. And he says, I saw it in a Nickelodeon once and I always wanted to try it. Which when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, Nickelodeon, like, yeah. you know, the kids programming and no, it was just like a nickel movie, right? That's what it was. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of like a cool little tidbit that they put in there because I had no idea what it was. I had to like look it up. That establishing shot like the... Oh, and that's... I'm forgetting something. Um, That's when we first hear the orchestra or the string quartet. And they're playing uh the Blue Danube. And it's a total homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey because oh. even the camera work... The they shoot the the um the, the, the glass dome fixture. the glass dome it's spinning and if you think about the space station in two thousand one I mean it's I don't know the fir- when I first saw it no I'm it makes like, sense yeah that that's it's so much to to Kubrick's two thousand one so Cal grabs Rose's uh mother's arm and escorts her rather than getting Rose um which to me shows the whole you know relationship in that. Rose's mom wants him. Right. And I I always think about that too, where I'm like, if I was, had been saved by some random handsome guy and like we were going out to dinner that night with my boyfriend and my mom, like I wouldn't expect me to be like hand in arm in arm with like this handsome stranger, like over like my boyfriend or fiance or whatever, you know? So like even seeing that as a kid, I was like, well, why is, why is Cal like with her mom and like she's with like I get why she's with Jack obviously foreshadowing but 
But it's also, wasn't that like the sign of the times? Did, wasn't I think that so. like a more an, an, an etiquette thing Could as be. well? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I thought it was both because of the way their facial expressions are too, that they're just kind of like. He's like the guest. So it kind of makes sense that because he saved Rose's life, like she, he, she escorts him basically to dinner. John Jacob Astor. We get introduced to this character. I, I don't think they even call him by name, but he essentially was a real character on Titanic, um, was with his young pregnant wife and was the wealthiest person to die on the Titanic. How wealthy was he? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> Millions. And I know that his wife was the same age as Rose because she says his wife is my age and in delicate condition because she was pregnant. To put it in perspective, uh, annual salary for average American was $500 a year. And one of the, like the rooms where, where Rose is staying, uh, was like $5,000. Jeez. So yeah. Even now that's a lot of money. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, we're at the dinner scene and then there's that really nice moment. Well, I thought it was kind of cute. Where Jack sits down and he sees all the cutlery and he's just like, oh, fuck, I have like four knives. And um, he turns to Molly Brown, who's like essentially, quote unquote, new money because she had like either married into it or just recently come into a bunch of money. And she says, we'll start on the outside and work your way in. I always think of that when I go to a fancy restaurant and there's like way too many utensils for me to use. I'm just kind of like, eh. and then like I start at the end and I work my way in. So I guess that's pretty good advice. Well, it was just like also like with like the fork the salad fork and the regular fork. And people are like, well, if you go to a fancy restaurant, it's supposed to be chilled. And that's how you oh, know. Oh, that's the difference. I thought the prongs were like the difference. I've been to one restaurant where it's chilled. Um, but other than that, I've been to a bunch of restaurants where it's like, they look exactly it's just like the same, the same, same as that like, fork. I just grab whatever, yeah. which one the dinner scene, they're all eating caviar. That was actual real caviar. And they had tons of it. And the actor who played, um, Bruce Ismay, Loved it. And he's like, I just could not get enough of it. I didn't want that scene to, to end. I've actually never had caviar. I've so I don't, I would imagine it would be like kind of salty. And from what I've been kind of researching what they might've had for dinner other than caviar, it's like champagne. Obviously they had pudding, lots of like gelatin things, like basically stuff that would keep on a ship yeah. is what they would be having. Maybe some sort of like fish or something. And like we said earlier, um, that dining room scene was uh, recreated to a T. So much so that the historians that were in charge of dealing that like just almost burst into tears the first time that they like. Yeah, I would think that would be super impressive to see something recreated that way. If you're like someone like me obsessed with the Titanic as a kid, if I saw like the staircase even, even now I'd probably start crying. It's sort of like going to Disneyland and seeing the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I cried, but it's fine. Um, Going back to the dinner, I know we were talking about them serving a lot of caviar. I actually found menus from the first, second and third classes. So what they had. So what would have been served during the first class dinner that Jack was at would be oysters. Gross. Consomme, cream of barley soup, salmon, cucumbers, filet mignon, lamb, Roast ducks, applesauce, basically just like fancy food that you would probably have now. Right, right. And then like uh, third class for dinner would have gruel, biscuits Ugh. and cheese. And that's it. So terrible. <laughs> that's it. 
So terrible. Yeah. Second class would probably have like cheeseburgers. No, they had tapioca, baked fish. So it wasn't that much worse than first class. But third class was just like gruel. (laughs) So Leo has this big moment where he makes like this big speech. That's very amazing. Towards the end of the scene, when we see that Leo, before we see Leo giving Kate like that, like secret note, I always saw him hand something to Molly Brown where he says like, oh, here, thank you. And like he hands her something. And I never knew what it was, but it's a pen. It's like the pen that he used to write the note. Oh, really? Yeah. He just like gets up and then he like hands her something and she puts it in her little like clutch and it's a pen. Oh, yeah. I don't think I ever even noticed that. Yeah. I always noticed it, but I never knew what it was. We get to the polka, as James Cameron calls it, because we don't want to get sued. Um, This is, again, another demonstration of like the classes and how, because you have that, that back and forth shot of like, oh, the gentleman or no, they even have that scene where it's like, so now the, the, the women and men need to do their own thing. And like the men are going to go drink and smoke cigars and the women. In the middle of that party scene, like you were saying earlier, they have that like cut where it's just like the men and they're all just like drinking brandy and talking about the Senate and like smoking cigars and they're all boring. And then you go back to everyone in third class, just like getting drunk and dancing. Yeah, exactly. So, and which, by the way, uh, not real beer that they're drinking. What do you think they were drinking? Um, I don't know. Tea, iced tea. <laughs> it was actually root beer. And the hilarious part is that, so in Ireland, root beer doesn't exist because they have actual beer. Oh they my gosh. <laughs> And so the actor, that the Irish actor who who uh, was in that scene, um, basically said that they drank so much root beer. He wasn't used to it. He never drank oh it my before. Gosh. Drank so much of it that he was high as a kite and couldn't get any sleep like the next night because he just like shot it all night. And here's the other thing too that we probably should have mentioned earlier. All most of the like ninety percent of the film was all shot at night. Yeah, there's a lot of night shoots, right? So all the actors. Oh yeah were like when they wrapped, I think in April of the next year, were like, what is this sun that you yeah. speak of? And they were, their clocks <laughs> were all their, like- their sleep schedule was all fucked up. Ass backwards, yeah. When I was listening to James Cameron's um, commentary on it, he was saying that a lot of the fun that you see throughout the scene was real because a lot of the cast and a lot of the crew were just having a really fun time shooting that entire scene. And the band that they hired was actually a real Gaelic band that did like real tunes from that era. And they actually stayed after they finished the shoot for that day or however many days it took the band stayed afterward and everyone else just kind of partied for like another hour after shooting was done. When we talk about Cora. So the little girl that Jack is dancing with in like, I think at the beginning of the scene, he's dancing with the little girl and then he goes to dance with Rose and he talks to Cora and says, you're still my best girl. Did you watch the Cora deleted scene? Is that the one where they're like on the, I forget what level they are on the boat. And then Kate comes in and everyone's like, oh, look, someone from first class is like down here with us. No, it's actually a death scene. So originally Cora and her whole family die. Really? Yeah. And it was test screened and the audience was just like, no, this is awful. I don't want to watch it. So they cut it out. But it's basically her family like trying to come up from third class or whatever. And they get caught behind like one of those doors as like the water's rushing up and they just like drown. Not to depress everyone, but that's what happened. And then I actually came upon while we were doing research, I came upon an article of the actress that plays Cora. It was by Vice 
and Ashley Spencer was the one that wrote the article for Vice. So the actress's name is Alex Owens Sarno, and it was basically about what her life has been like since Titanic. She basically hasn't really acted in much. She's living in LA and she's working as a bartender and she like writes screenplays and that's kind of all she does. And originally her sister, her little sister was supposed to play the girl that Billy Zane picks up while he's trying to get where he like picks up the little crying girl and he's like, I have a child. That was supposed to be Cora's little sister. But I guess when they were auditioning in real life, the little sister just like would not stop crying and could not stop crying. So they were like, let's just cast somebody else. Wow. There was dancing in that scene. Uh, both Leo and Kate had to be trained. Kate was super gung-ho about it the whole time and actually picked up a lot of the choreography super quick. It was Leo who struggled and claimed that he was tired in 10 minute increments because essentially the choreographer 10 minutes, Leo throughout filming would be like, all right, here's 10 minutes. Let's do this. And then he'd be like, oh, I'm tired. And then, okay, <laughs> let's do another 10 minutes. And then he'd get tired again. And like so the dancing is like, not even that hard in that scene. No. It's just like, and he doesn't, he looks fine. At least like his, their dancing isn't really that difficult. Leo had a lizard that he kept in his trailer. <laughs> what? Another thing that he would do to get out of the dancing is that he knew the choreographer didn't like the lizard. And so basically anytime the choreographer would knock on the door, he'd like have the lizard with him. And she'd be like, get that fucking lizard out of here. Like I saw another thing in the behind the scenes where I think like the set director, someone is saying, I should probably not, I'm sad. I don't know his name, but someone is like pretty much setting up the schedule for tomorrow. He's like, all right, tomorrow we're going to reconvene. We're going to shoot scene 308, shoot scene 205. And Leo just like comes up next to him and starts like miming what this guy is saying and like making fun of him, like right next to him. And just like the whole time everyone's distracted because Leo's like make funny faces on the side. That was James Cameron's biggest gripe with him is that he would, I mean, obviously he's a great actor, but as soon as like they would stop rolling, he would just be like, like all over the place. Which I guess is also kind of good. Yeah. That you're able to snap in and out of character so quickly. Especially in a disaster movie. Because I read that. Kate Winslet was like the complete opposite. Like every time she had to shoot something, she'd be like, okay, I need like an hour to get out of this. So the final scene in the uh, polka dance is when Kate goes up on her tiptoes like a ballerina. Uh, A lot of people have questioned whether it was really her, whether it's physically possible. And I have to tell you guys that she was on strings and they pulled her up. Uh, So it was her, but through the assist of some uh, strings. Yes. And then the close-up was actually a ballerina that they had. So it was Kate on the wide shot, but like in that close-up scene, it was actually a ballerina that was on point, which looks very difficult. The scene after that is after the party. So like the day after, which I'm surprised that Rose isn't super hungover because I don't think she's used to drinking that much. And she's just like chilling, having tea. Although maybe she is like, you just really can't tell. But also she's super young, so she can get away with. Yeah, I'm sure if I was 19, I would probably be chilling. Maybe not even hungover yet. Yeah, that's true. Not a proper hungover. She's having what looks like lunch with Cal or maybe breakfast. I can't really tell. He gets mad at her. He brings up, like I said earlier, he says, I hope you, I'd hoped you had come to me last night. Meaning she, he probably wanted her to sleep with him last night and she didn't. So he's like mad about that. And then he has his like henchmen i know he's not a henchman but that's what i call him pretty much follow her to the party and so he tells her i saw you at this party like don't ever do that again and so that's kind of just like going back to rose's story and like the movie being about rose rose's character 
growing and or pretty much just like a woman's place in the time. This is like a really good scene to kind of illustrate that because Cal just kind of like says, um, he like gets mad at her when she says, I don't want you to yell at me like this. I'm your fiance. And then he says, my fiance, so you will honor me the way a fiance should honor her husband or whatever. And then he just like goes apeshit and throws the table, which is depressing. The sort of the expectation at the time. Yeah, and I'm sure that like, should happen all the time too. Yep. I mean, probably it still happens. Today. Yeah. So then afterward, we have this scene between Rose and her mom, which we don't really have. I think this might be the only scene between Rose and her mom where it's just them two. Yeah. And it's it's a really good scene because I know I've been talking about this as like a woman's journey. And this is a really good scene to illustrate that, too. She's lacing up her corset, which is an accurate corset for the year. All the actresses had corsets. Yeah. And this is like it goes from boob to like mid thigh. Even it doesn't just like go to your waist like the ones now do. Um, So she's lacing her up and is saying she's talking about how she can't see Jack anymore because Jack is just like a poor person, essentially. Um, And says that he doesn't want her to behave or that she doesn't want her to behave the way she's been behaving anymore. She forbids it. And she talks about how that's why she's a, a good match with Cal, with Hockley. And this is where you get an insight to why they're even getting married in the first place is because their family's poor. Like, I guess Rose's dad passed away and left them with a bunch of debt. So they have like no money. Yeah. Pretty much just like their last name, Bucator, is all they have in terms of society. Like other than that, they have no money. They're going back to America, super poor, unless she marries Cal, which is a really good, um, I think it's a really good scene because you kind of see that tug between Rose and her mom. And you can see like why her mom's acting that way, but also why Rose feels that she doesn't want to do it. And then at the end, she says that really great line where Rose says it's unfair. And she says, of course, it's unfair where women are choices are never easy. So that's like a really good line that goes with the theme of Rose's character kind of growing out of this like stereotypical journey of what a woman should be. In a way, it sort of makes Rose's mom not be the bad guy because she's just looking out for her because again, being a woman, you couldn't even vote then. You were super limited and it's like, what else was she going to do? What, like what other, what other choices does she have? Does she have is like either be poor or try to marry into someone rich. So it, it it makes her seem not as villainous as like, it looks on the surface. But then if you think about the future, if Rose had married Cal, he goes bankrupt in the, yeah. In the stock market, <laughs> in crash. the stock market crash and ends up killing himself. Yeah. So it would have been bad either way. Right. <laughs> She's better off. So originally that scene was supposed to be backwards where Kate, uh, is doing his, doing her mother's corset. corset. Yeah. And in a classic theme that we've been talking about this podcast of great actors having great ideas. Of course. They go up to James Cameron like, you know what? This should be backwards. Right. And then the one time Cameron says, you're right. It should be backwards. And so that's. that's I can't imagine it being the other way around. Like it would make, especially because of how aggressive Francis is in that scene. Um, I feel like it makes more sense that she's like pulling the laces on Rose's corset as she's like yelling at, not yelling, but like being so aggressive about these things. Now we get to, uh, Rose explaining there aren't enough light boats, which one of the great things that I love about Titanic is that you have these like micro moments and the inevitability of like this whole thing could have been prevented if just one thing went the other direction. And in a way, it's sort of what we're going through now with the coronavirus and that we had all these warnings 
and the same thing with Pearl Harbor and the same thing with, you know, September 11th. And for whatever stupid reason we choose to ignore it and, or just not think of it in, in the time. And, you know, to say that, okay, we don't have enough lifeboats. We could have, but for a stylistic choice it to create. It looked too cluttered. Yeah. Again, another sort of sign of like, of things to come. I think it's like they could have fit a whole other row of lifeboats. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what he I says. I mean, they barely, they didn't even have enough for a half for half the people uh, that were, that were on the boat. Obviously Titanic for its time had some of the most groundbreaking special effects uh, in, in films, but I do have to point out one of the worst scenes. And it's a scene where uh, it's Rose um, and her mother and they're having lunch and it leads into the, the uh, etiquette of the little girl. Uh, But it's like a push and shot on, 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 on Kate Winslet. And what makes it so bad is that, they couldn't afford to create the background. So they did a model and they added just a green screen. So the, everything in front of Kate is real. And then everything in the background is fake, but it's so, it just, it looks God awful. I'll have to go back and look at it. Cause it, I didn't even know It notice. looks really <laughs> bad, especially on Blu-ray, maybe on regular DVD. It didn't look that bad, yeah. but like on Blu-ray, you really see all the flaws of it. And it's just like, it's really bad. But to that scene, you really sort of see the extension of, the inevitability of like, well, if I'm going to go marry rich, um, this is what my life's going to be. You could see it in her face. And then the, the shot of the little girl and putting the napkin and I just hate the way that little girl puts yeah. her hands on top of the napkin. That's like always bothered me. It's so accentuated. I hate and it. Like, it's the it's, worst. It's, it's so I hate bad. it so much. Yeah. Once Rose sees like this little girl, which is like a reflection of her as a little girl and kind of like what her life has been up until this point. She realizes she really doesn't want to do it anymore. And so she decides to leave the lunch she's at and to go find Jack. And so he's at the front of the ship um, and he's just kind of chilling, hanging out like you do. And she goes up to him and tries to, I'm guessing she's trying to say she's sorry for pushing him away earlier. And he just kind of tells her to go up onto like the railing and they do the whole Jack, I'm flying Again, shot. another iconic scene. Yeah, which the song that he's singing to her, uh, it's Come Joseph Feet on My Flying Machine, was like the most popular song of the year prior. So this is 1912. Um, Josephine on My Flying Machine was 1911. And so that was just like a really popular song. And that's why he sings it to her. How that was made. So more of the back panning that we talked about where Jack says, I'm the king of the world. Yeah. It's the same idea where they cut the front of the ship and they had them up. And basically big techno crane on a dolly doing the parallax effect uh, combined with, you know, every visual effect known imaginable because that's when the camera pans back throughout the whole ship. Um, And if you look closely, oh, the other thing too was that, so they shot that at sunset in, in, uh, in, uh, in Mexico. And so you can actually, there are moments where you could tell the background is actually the sunset but they had to recreate it digitally and they tried to match the sunset for the original time that they shot it, but they can never get the sunset exactly the same. So they created a backdrop and just a logistical nightmare just to try to recreate that same sunset shot. Um, if you look really closely at their faces, you could tell that there's it's like some, lit differently, not lit differently, but you could tell there's a digital effect because oh, like okay. faces like strobe in and out a little bit subsequent of that scene and that shot tons of cruise lines charge extra fees for you to be able to do that 
There's an entire episode of it's either Bob's Burgers or Rick and Morty. I'm pretty sure it's Rick and Morty instead where the dad is like obsessed with going on this cruise line that's specifically for people that love Titanic. And his wife is just like, I don't want to fucking do that. That sounds like the worst thing ever. So they go and he like finds this other woman who's also obsessed with Titanic. And they like go around the ship and like recreate all of the scenes. And they like go to the front and do the whole Jack and Rose scene. And because that's legit something that people like they actually did that. I'm sure like at the Queen Mary and like any boat imaginable, like how many people did that stuff? So they had to do that multiple times in multiple different formats. And uh, Leo and Kay got so sick of it that like anytime they would do, do that scene, they would just they would have to amp themselves up just to sort of get into like, I'm doing this for the first time, you know, that that kind of reaction shot. So on the surface may have looked easy, but it it wasn't at all. Here we go. My favorite story of this entire movie is the PCP incident. Oh, God. Many people may know this story. Others may not. Um, I think I found out because of you. Yeah. There's a Vanity Fair article where uh, a lot of it is detailed. The scene after the, the bow scene, we cut back to, to present day where uh, we're with um, the crew trying to find the, the uh, part of the ocean and um, old Rose. And so in reality... The night that they shot that scene, it was like 1.30 in the morning. And James Cameron says, for the first time on the, on the shoot, says, let's break for lunch, which he never did. Never broke early for lunch. And so uh, it was like 1.30 in the morning. And it was actually the last day that they shot in Halifax. Um, they had eight hours to go. And they broke for lunch. After they have lunch, uh, the crew starts seeing colors and shapes. <laughs> Finally, it hits James Cameron and he's like, I don't know what the hell is going on. And so he runs off, runs off set. And one of the ADs uh, basically says like, okay, who's saying things and who isn't? Oh my people God. are saying things go on this side of the room and oh people are God. not go to the other side. People start freaking out. And so uh, Caleb Deschanel, who was DP on the Halifax stuff, didn't know whether he was on the good crew or the bad crew. Didn't know if he was hallucinating <laughs> or not. That'd be me. They end up going to like a small hospital. They bombard the small hospital with the crew of, of Titanic. And they basically start doing conga lines and the doctors are trying to get oh them my to God. like isolate and go to the rooms <laughs> and like they don't want to do it. And, um, and it just turned into this whole shit show. And to this day, no one really knows who, who spiked did them with the PCP. You know they were eating? No. Clam chowder, which sounds delicious, but like spiked with PCP. Who would do that? I don't know. Who do you, who do you think? It would I don't be? know. Because none of like Kate and Leo weren't there unless it was Leo and he just left. To me, because it was an international crew. They yeah. had like a bunch of people. Um, I think it was someone just trying to fuck with them. I think it, so too. It was like maybe like a an extra yeah. or some crew member that was like pissed off because they're working for like, you know, 40 hour plus work weeks and just like, I'm just going to fuck with them. That makes sense. That's the PCP story. The drawing was Leo's first day of shooting. Oh, interesting. To create an icebreaker. Um, obviously knowing that Kate was going to have to be naked. Um, and rather than waiting for it to happen on set, um, Leo and Kate shared the same makeup artist. 
And so Leo was looking for a touch up or something. And so he couldn't find his makeup artist. And, uh, the makeup artist was actually with Kate, you know, making, making up her body cause it was going to be shot. She hears, you know, Leo kind of searching around and basically gets to the point where, uh, she's like, if Leo knocks on my door, uh, <laughs> just open it. And so Leo knocks on the door, opens it. And there she was in her birthday suit. And which I think like obviously helped the scene. And so I that so way too. those scenes are never, never easy for anybody. So since we're talking about the drawing scene, which is probably one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Think about to when we saw it in the theater. What do you remember? I remember not feeling as awkward as probably I would if I was a boy, maybe. Um, and then I know dad was sitting right next to me and I remember he kind of just turned towards me and was like, ha ah, she's naked. You could see her butt. And like, that was it, which I thought was really funny. So it wasn't really like an awkward, like it was awkward, but like it was more funny than anything. So the movie was rated PG 13 and up to that point, I don't think I had seen a movie that was PG 13 that, that had nudity in it. And so, and also keep in mind, this is before Twitter, this is before social media where you, where, you know, now movie premieres and spoilers are abound and like, you can easily tell what's going to happen. No one saw this coming. Um, and so I remember, you know, the, the moment where it, where it finally happens, you know, you think they're going to cut around it. Like she takes a robe off and that they're not going to do it. Yeah. They're not going to show it. They're going to like shoot around it. And then when you finally see it. I remember not an audible gasp, but like shuffle, like people like <laughs> shuffling in their seats and mom was sitting next to me and I do remember her like trying to like cover my eyes, but it was a like, whoa. Which you were like, what, 15 at the time? Yeah. 16? From my point of view it was right. fine. You're <laughs> like, okay. Obviously for like, you know, moms taking their kids, like not expecting to see that. Like it was just like, whoa. I think you were saying that because we were talking about while we were watching the movie that like there aren't really PG-13 movies with like boobs in them. Like maybe like a butt, but like you know which not the one another moment like that reminded me. No. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde. If you saw that movie. Never. 5,000 points to you. I've never Jekyll seen that movie. With Sean Young. Oh, okay. But they were like CG boobs. <laughs> There's a moment where and again went with mom and like I think it was some younger kid. I don't know who it was. Oh and this was around the same time, like mid nineties. Uh, and she like rips her shirt and like, they like pop out, but they're like <laughs> CG. And it was another one of those moments where she That's like tried to like, so funny again, did not expect it. Yeah. Like, but I guess I know we were talking about how, like the reason they probably got away with it is because they were presenting nudity as an artistic yeah. versus like, they're going to have sex or whatever, you yeah. know? And what I did find out a lot was that the, music for the sketching scene you know there's like that weird like piano instrumental that wasn't even supposed to be for that scene like james horner hadn't um written the music for it yet he had just sent james cameron a file that said sketch on it that was like the title of it and so james cameron thought that that was the music for the sketching scene and he opened it and kind of put it to the scene and james horner was like that wasn't even the music for that scene but they ended up just using it because it was good and I believe that's actually James Horner on the piano and they tried to redo it. But James Cameron fell in love with that first version that he was like, no, we're just going to use um, that, that part. 
But I guess that line that Leo says right after she takes off her rope when he instructs her to get on the couch, he says, okay, get on the couch. Or he says, I get on the bed. Oh, I mean the couch. I guess that that like floop was on, like it was real. Like Leo, actually, that actually happened. He was originally supposed to say, just get on the couch. But because he was so flustered, he ended up saying, get on the bed. And again, how this scene has been memified and. Oh yeah. It's everywhere. How many times have you said that? In, in I say it every time my dog lays down. I feel like he says that. So the hand that's drawing it is actually James Cameron's hand, which looks pretty good considering he was like 40 something. He worked as an illustrator. Like he worked on movie before he became James Cameron. He worked in the art department. So he had, uh, he was known for to be an illustrator and, and, and knew how to do that stuff. Yeah. And so he's the one that draws. So those are his hands that you see. But James Cameron is left-handed and Leo is right-handed. So they pretty much had to mirror the shot so that it looked like it was Leo drawing it with his right hand. Yeah. So again, more of the flipping the, the negative. Um, and this reaches our halfway point of the movie. This is about the 90 minute mark of a three hour plus movie. This concludes part one of our deep dive into the film Titanic, pun intended. Part two will be coming next week. We really appreciate it and thank you for listening. If you want to get a hold of us and recommend movies for us to discuss, you can reach us at cupmoviepod at gmail.com. Same thing on Instagram and Twitter at cupmoviepod. You can also find us on YouTube by searching cupmoviepod. There you can find a video podcast of this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you guys on the next one. Cut. That's a wrap.